A good question to ask yourself when reading a book like this is why should I trust this author? This is especially important when dealing with sleep paralysis. After all, the medical community claims that there is no cure for sleep paralysis, and yet here I am saying that it can be stopped for good. Those two opinions are not easily reconcilable. And since I'm not a scientist, it's quite reasonable to ask why you should care what I have to say about this subject. My name is Chris White. I run a nonprofit organization that, among other things, has been helping people stop sleep paralysis for good for several years. I started the website StopSleepParalysis.org in 2009, and with the help of many volunteers, have seen hundreds of people freed from even the worst cases of sleep paralysis. I didn't start out with the goal of helping people with sleep paralysis. In fact, I sort of stumbled upon the solution while doing research on what I thought was an unrelated subject. As a result of that research, however, I soon became very interested in sleep paralysis and began to read anything I could on the subject. I didn't realize at the time how many people were experiencing sleep paralysis, but when I started to mention it from time to time on a radio show I was doing, I was overwhelmed with emails about it from people all over the world. It started simply enough. I would just email these people back telling them what I knew about stopping sleep paralysis. They began to write back in droves, thanking me for the information and telling their stories about how the advice I had given them had helped to stop their sleep paralysis. The emails kept coming, so much so that I had to bring on several volunteers to help answer them. Over the years, I estimate we've talked to over a thousand people about their sleep paralysis experiences. And as a result of hearing so many different accounts, we've become quite knowledgeable about virtually all aspects of sleep paralysis. Over the years, we began to get more frustrated with the mainstream view that sleep paralysis was unable to be cured, because we were seeing such consistent success with our work. So we organized what may be the largest survey of sleep paralysis experiencers ever done, this in order to try to show, in a scientific way, that what we were saying was able to be verified. You can still see that form that over 1,200 people filled out at the survey website sleepsurvey.com. It should be mentioned that we are not the only people to come to the conclusion that sleep paralysis can be stopped for good, nor are we the only people giving the kind of advice we will give in this book. Though I would say that because we have had the privilege to be a part of such a large number of cases, we have developed a very systematic process that consistently works in even the most severe cases. The last part of this book will be a few testimonials of people who have been freed from sleep paralysis using the methods described in this book. These personal stories offer another kind of proof for our methods. We could literally fill an entire book with similar stories. In fact, if you have a story that you would like to include in such a book, please email it to me at chris at stopsleepparalysis.org. While we believe that our consistent and provable success with ending so many cases of sleep paralysis serves as our credentials and a valid reason for you to at least hear us out, we are not doctors or scientists at stopsleepparalysis.org. We are just regular people. But we do know a lot about stopping sleep paralysis, and we really care about helping people who are experiencing it. At the end of the day, the best way for you to determine if what we are saying in this book is true or not is to try it yourself. If you're experiencing sleep paralysis and you don't want to anymore, then you have nothing to lose. In this chapter, I will explain a range of things people experience during sleep paralysis. I will also explain what the modern scientific community believes about sleep paralysis and some of the reasons that I think they are wrong. What is sleep paralysis? According to one definition, sleep paralysis is a phenomenon in which people either, when falling asleep or awakening, temporarily experience an inability to move, and it is often associated with terrifying visions. What happens during sleep paralysis? There is such a wide range of things that people experience in sleep paralysis. 
Some cases can be considered very mild, while others quite severe. In almost every case, there is paralysis, the inability to move. This occurs in even the most mild cases. In addition, almost all experiencers report the feeling that there is an evil or menacing presence in the room, even if they don't actually see anything there. This feeling has been called felt presence by the scientific community and is reported in nearly every case of sleep paralysis. Those two things, paralysis and felt presence, are the basic things that happen in an episode of sleep paralysis. A mild case usually lasts for less than a minute and occurs only a few times in a person's life. Recent studies have shown that 6.2% of the population has experienced this at least once, though there is reason to believe that the numbers are much higher than this. Other studies have shown that almost 30% of a randomly sampled student population has experienced sleep paralysis. On the other end of the spectrum, in the more severe cases, a person experiences sleep paralysis for a longer duration and much more frequently. They not only sense evil presences, but they might also see them in a variety of forms and might be physically attacked or sexually violated by them. A small sample of other things that have been associated with sleep paralysis include noises. These can be anything from buzzing sounds, footsteps, chanting, screaming, or even long conversations with the perceived presence. Seeing things. While some people see nothing at all, others see shadows, people, hooded figures, various monstrous beings, aliens, dead relatives, elves, and much more. There is really no limit to the various forms people claim to have seen during sleep paralysis, though the ones listed above are the most commonly reported. Physical Interactions People have described a wide range of physical contact during sleep paralysis. These include light touches, pressure on the chest, as well as a variety of sexual experiences, including rape of both men and women. Out-of-body experiences. Many people report leaving their bodies during sleep paralysis, either voluntarily or involuntarily. They claim to be able to see their body while floating above the bed. Alternately, some people claim to be sinking or being pushed into their bed, either by the entity or independently. The Mainstream Explanation of Sleep Paralysis Sleep scientists admit they don't know the cause of sleep paralysis. However, there are several theories that have been proposed recently. Probably the most prevalent theory is that there is an inappropriate overlap of the REM and waking stages of sleep. REM stands for Rapid Eye Movement, which is a stage of sleep characterized by the rapid and random movement of the eyes. Basically, they say that a person is waking up while their body is still asleep. Normally, the body shuts down the ability to move while asleep, so a person doesn't act out their dreams. This view proposes that this process is somehow disrupted and a person wakes up while they are still paralyzed. The reason they say that people hear, see, and feel all the scary things that they do during sleep paralysis is another story altogether. Here again, they admit they do not know why this happens, though there are a number of theories that they propose. To put it very simply, they say that seeing, hearing, or feeling something odd during sleep paralysis is caused by something they call felt presence. Felt presence, again, basically means that a person feels as if there is a presence in the room with them. This presence is almost always described as evil in these studies. Basically, they say that once you feel that this presence is in the room, you become afraid, and this fear causes you to make that felt presence a reality in your mind. If you're thinking that it's odd to essentially say that hallucinations are caused by a hallucination, you are not alone. I think it's pretty odd, too. If we were to assume this is true, however, then the next logical question would be, if the hallucination of an evil presence is the core cause of the other hallucinations, where does the first hallucination, felt presence, come from? The short answer is they don't know, but again, they have some theories. 
The main theory is that when a person wakes up and finds themselves paralyzed, it activates their, quote, threat-activated vigilance system, end quote. This is a protective mechanism the body uses to differentiate between dangerous situations and determine whether the fear response is appropriate. For example, if you heard a noise in the woods, your threat-activated vigilance system would cause you to be on high alert until you determined if the source of the noise was a threat or not. This process is often associated with the part of the brain called the amygdala, which is responsible for extreme emotions like fear. In fact, the whole reason this theory came about is because scientists using neuroimaging techniques like MRIs saw that the amygdala was activated with people having sleep paralysis. So they reasoned that this area of the brain was essentially malfunctioning during sleep paralysis. They theorized that the threat-activated vigilance system is not able to find a real threat, so it creates one that is, the felt presence, which would then cause the other hallucinations. What's wrong with the mainstream explanations? When you read about scientific theories regarding sleep paralysis, it often seems like they have it all figured out, and that it's been proven to be caused by the factors I listed above. People will confidently say things like, quote, scientists know the cause of sleep paralysis, end quote. But in reality, nothing could be further from the truth. Most good explanations of the theories about sleep paralysis in the scientific papers will make this point very clear. I think one way to demonstrate how unstable the foundations of this theory are, we should look a little more into how they came to their conclusions. Let's take the studies about the threat-activated vigilance system and the amygdala. Using neuroimaging techniques, scientists were able to determine that the amygdala was active during sleep paralysis. That's pretty much it. From there, they made the claim that this activation of the fear center of the brain was the cause of the hallucinations. The elephant in the room is the simple question, wouldn't a person's threat-activated vigilance system and amygdala be activated if they really were afraid? And since sleep paralysis is such a fearful thing, it makes perfect sense that they notice brain activity with the fear centers of the brain. There is no way for these studies to determine which comes first, the feeling of an evil presence in the room or the activation of the amygdala. Yet making such a distinction is crucial to this theory. They need fear to cause felt presence, not fear as a result of felt presence. To determine which of these comes first would be almost impossible to make in a laboratory. And as far as I know, there has never even been an attempt to do so. One of the top scientists in the field of sleep paralysis said of this problem, quote, more precise assessment of the temporal order of the experiences will likely prove to be quite challenging, given that experiments are incapacitated and mute during episodes. So all they know is that the fear centers of the brain are active during sleep paralysis. They've made the assumption that this fear is a malfunction of the brain which causes hallucinations, but they have no evidence for this and haven't even come up with a way to rule out the most obvious reason why the fear centers are activated, that is, because the person is genuinely afraid. The idea that fear creates hallucinations during sleep paralysis is challenged significantly by people who report being awoken by a sound or feeling. In other words, they had no fear until they were awoken by a feeling or sound. A person might describe to being slapped in the face, which awakens them, or hearing a menacing voice in their ear, Therefore, the model of fear being the cause of hallucinations is not applicable in those cases because they were woken up by a hallucination. There was no time for fear to cause the hallucination. Until studies are done to show that the amygdala activity is the cause of felt presence and not the result of feeling an evil presence in the room, 
there is no reason whatsoever to think that this theory has any merit at all. It is just as logical to believe that a person is scared as a result of what they are experiencing, and that their brains are not malfunctioning at all. They are simply reacting naturally to the perceived threat. If they are hallucinating, it would appear that another model of how this is occurring is needed. The scientific view has a number of other problems, one of which is the high occurrence of exceptions to their models. I have already mentioned that many people were awoken by a sound or feeling during sleep paralysis, meaning that their hallucinations came before the fear, something that is not supposed to happen according to their view. Another one of these exceptions is found with out-of-body experiences, or OBEs, which is a common experience during sleep paralysis. According to their view, OBEs are caused by a totally separate series of events that are not supposed to have anything to do with felt presence or fear. They basically had to come up with this view because very often fear was not reported with OBEs, so their model of fear-caused hallucinations wouldn't work on this particular experience. I won't go into details of the elaborate theory they have to explain why people quote hallucinate OBEs, but the problem they face now is that according to this model, OBEs should not occur in the same context as fearful experiences. In fact, entire studies were constructed to try to prove that when people claim that the evil entity actually forced them out of their body, as is often reported, that people were remembering the experience wrong and were essentially combining two separate occasions of sleep paralysis. The results of that study were very interesting. They actually found that in at least one third of OBEs, an evil entity was the cause of them leaving their body. And that fear was seven to eight times more likely than blissful experiences. To put it another way, their hypothesis was disproven. However, this would be difficult to know if you just read the conclusion to that study, as they didn't mention it there. You would actually have to read the details of the study itself to find that they were wrong. I could spend much more time here discussing what I believe to be the shortcomings of the modern scientific view of sleep paralysis. But I will conclude this point saying that you should know that despite the chorus of people saying the opposite, scientists do not know what the cause of sleep paralysis is. Any good scientist would tell you the same thing. They only have theories. I would add that these theories aren't even very good. I know that many of you who are reading this are dissatisfied with the modern scientific view, either because you see the problems with their methods for coming to these conclusions, or simply because you know deep down that you are not hallucinating what you see or hear during sleep paralysis, and you feel that what is happening to you may have a completely different explanation. In the next few chapters, I hope to show you that the belief that these are not hallucinations at all, but something real, is a view that can be logically even scientifically defended.